Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about five things we wish we knew about training when we first started. Yeah, so we obviously spoke uh, last week or the week before about the five things we wish we knew about nutrition. And we definitely wanted to split these things up because obviously training and nutrition as a whole is such a broad topic. But we really want to dive into, yeah, the training side of things today because as Danny and I often speak about, you really don't learn much about training in your cert three and four. Like you learn, I guess, safety and, you know, some general principles, but not nearly enough as what you should. Yeah, I think because health, wellness, training, nutrition, mindset, all the elements that come into a coach or what's expected of a coach these days, you just can't teach that in eight weeks, 12 weeks, 24 weeks, however long sort of the courses are. I remember mine was sort of an eight-week full-time every day. I went into the city, did the learning, and you come out and you're like, okay, we learned some things, but A, to learn a skill, you have to practice it again and again and again, or you listen to it again and again and again. We all have different learning styles. To put it all in a a sort of compact environment on a short time frame, it just doesn't work. So it's not really, you know, we say this all the time, but it's not really disrespect to the people teaching. And I mean, they have very strict guidelines on what they need to teach, Mm. but it's just life. It's like trying to learn any skill in a a small amount of time. It's just not going to work. Like what are your reflections on why you think, yeah, that's the case. I mean, I think it's just a timeframe thing and a lack of practice. For the reason as to why they don't learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually had this because um, I was, I don't know like how many years ago I did my cert three and four, but a lot more recently than what you would have done that most definitely. I think I did mine in maybe, I want to say like 2019. Oh, wow. I was 2012, man, showing my age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I did mine like not long ago, you know, like Mm. I was competing. I was sort of like building my presence in the fitness space. And then I was like, maybe I better do this. So (laughs) I almost had to feel like I had to unlearn things to do it like there was so much things that I sort of disagreed with (laughs) and I was like guys why am I learning about the food pyramid like come on like is this really why aren't we teaching macros like why aren't we learning energy balance so there was a lot of things from nutrition but then most definitely training as well that I, I was just ticking boxes to get a piece of paper that's what it was and a great example of this is at the time like I was working as a registered nurse and a midwife and I had to go and do my first aid as a qualified registered nurse to get ticked off of my PP cert. And I'm like, you do realize I could be teaching this, but the response from that was like, oh yeah, but because that's university and this is like TAFE course codes, we just need the course code. So I think that's the real problem is like, they're all about codes and just ticking boxes rather than real practical application in the real world. Yeah, I was very lucky back when I did mine because I sort of went against the grain and picked a company that wasn't heavily advertised on the radio or, mm. you know, when we used to hear radio advertising, we still do, but it's not as prominent now. I I just had a gut instinct to not go to a course that would have 30 people in it. There was probably only about eight people, um, which was, yeah, I was just so lucky. But for everyone who's going to say, which course did you do it? They've shut down now. Oh, there's no yeah. money in it when you're trying to do a good job with a small amount of people, you know, 
know, the companies that just pump everyone in and out still stand today. Online models still stand today, but, you know, the best thing that I could have done was have that face-to-face element. So for anyone that's studying, I mean, yeah, fast forward 10 years, it's going to be so different, but get as much face-to-face practice as you can. Just get out there, Mm -hmm. learn, listen to all these resources, tick the boxes, get a little bit frustrated because, as you said, you might have to, quote-unquote, unlearn things. Just get the paper, get out, and then the real learning happens. Absolutely. And I was really fortunate. I had an incredible mentor, like when I was going through this, that he would be like, I'm just going to sign you off. Like it's ridiculous <laughs> that you have to squat with a broomstick when I've seen you squat a hundred. Do you know what I mean? To record. Like there's just things, right? And this is just, look, it's just, they're, they're, they're tied behind their hands. Their mm-hmm. hands are tied behind their back, I should say. It's the same with like anything in education. Policy takes a long period of time. And as you mentioned, Danny, this is why both paid and freed mentors are so important to uh, developing yourself as a personal trainer. And like you guys listening to this are so lucky. I would have killed for a podcast like this when I was first starting, right? I used to go on bodyboarding.com and Teen Nation <laughs> just to find any sort of information. Uh, but now we have like all these incredible podcasts and resources and evidence-based you know coaches and not that everything that you hear see or read is fact anymore unfortunately but you have like a whole host of places to go and that's the hardest part about learning it's not what to learn it's where to go or who to go to to learn from so obviously everyone listening to this I hope you all trust us but (laughs) we're going to share today like just some of the key things that we wish we knew when we started not only like even just um, like coaching obviously we've got lots more advanced topics but more so just training in the gym in general. I love that. And then, as you said, you know, we we would have killed for a podcast like this, but I suppose that's what fuels us to keep going with it and say, yeah, you know, we're giving information and all the information that we give is based on our personal experiences, both in the healthcare industry, um, you being a midwife, me being an osteopath, but then just having clients on the gym floor or, you know, online being coaches as well. So we are very much a hybrid of healthcare with coaching. So that's Mm. why you and I are very different. Um, So, you know, what we say might go against what people say, but that's just, that's just our lens on life and our experience and it works for us. So that's why we share it here. Um, And I did also want to make a point before we do get into our five Um, things like you mentioned free and paid mentoring a lot of people still want too much free stuff you know like you people always want which is the best resource on google where I can get this or which is the best that or you know trying to follow people around but just pay for a course guys or, or go to that person and say hey do you mind if I just pay you for a session just so I can learn from you? And look, if you go to the top, it's not going to be cheap. But if you waste your years and time and keep throwing out $20, $50 on little programs, you're not going to learn anything and you'll confuse yourself. Just invest, save up. It's going to probably be a bit painful at the start, handing out a a fair amount of money, but you'll get it back because you've gone straight to the top. I really think that people... They just undervalue it because there's so many free resources out here, but the best way is just to go up to someone, offer to pay them for a session and learn from them. Mm, yeah, I love that. My first ever probably uh, proper strength mentor, I worked for him for free. So not many people know there this, but like 
I actually did some sessions with him, like paid him, and he was $110 an hour. And five years ago or four years ago, that was Massive. a lot for, yeah. for someone my age to pay for a personal training session, but he was like a really top strength and conditioning coach. And just I used to always walk past this facility and see him working in there, and I'm like, looks really good. Anyways, went in there and I learned so much just from, like you said, paying and training with him for a period of time. And one time I said like, hey, do you mind if I come and watch you like coach some other people and just like almost like a mentor under you for a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll help you around the gym floor. And I ended up actually working for him. But at the start, I was literally like helping him um, whilst I was working full time as a nurse midwife, helping mm. him just so I could see how you approach other people. And like, you learn so much just from being like indirectly around people. Cause I might ask like, Oh, why did you do that? And then you'll explain something and I'll be like, Oh, that makes sense. You know? And then he'll give me a book yep. to read. And that's the type of mentoring that I'm saying, like free, like nothing in this world is really nothing worth having anymore is really free. Do you Mm. know what I mean? Like these things are tasters. And I think that's awesome because as I mentioned, the hardest part is to know who to go to um, for actual good sound content. And if you're a coach, I mean, like you should be spending like 10 to 20% of your income annually on your professional learning to make yourself better, especially Mm. if it's what's bringing in your money. Yeah. Yeah. But then also I was having this conversation with someone It's so easy to fall into the trap of going to a course and going to another course and going to another Mm. one and just course hopping. And I can say that because I used to do that when I was younger, because you get that Mm. feeling of I'm being productive, you're writing stuff down, but then you just don't apply anything because the courses that you go to, again, people are conflicting and that's so fine. There's so many variables in what clients need that we all can't just be the same. It's impossible. So Just, I think you need to, yeah, go through the trial and error at the start. But then once you find a way of coaching and practicing that you enjoy, follow Mm -hmm. that one path. Um, Even though it might be different to the others, it doesn't matter. Just get really good at one way because you will confuse yourself and your clients if you're just going course to course to course. One person says this is right. The other person says, no, that's not right. Too confusing. Just pick one lane and, and ride it. Yeah, it's knowing who to listen to, but then also who not to listen to or the noise to not listen to. I was actually saying this like probably a few months ago, I was saying to Eugene, I really want to learn about this topic. I don't know where to go to. Like, I really want to learn about this. Do you have any recommendations or things? And he's like, not really. Like, there gets to a point when you know enough where you almost need mentoring. Like, you need specifics on a certain thing. You can't just go and get a generalized course on this. Mm. And I was like, I never thought about it like that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't need to. I don't know going to go to a course to get through all the shit I just need to learn about this one element it was like more conditioning style stuff that I was curious about Mm. and that's when we designed the workshop that we did together but he was like well we'll just make it up for you and pull it all together and we'll do it with your coaches I'm like yeah that's great like it gets to a point where you've almost got to put it all together for yourself and go to people and that's an awesome position to be at because I'm like I and now I feel content you know, and I think that's important to sit in that. Like, I don't need to consume more content for the sake of consuming more content. I want to continue refining and learning the things that I need to work on. Because as mm. you mentioned, people can get in that trap of being like, what's next? And it's like, how well do you even know what you've just learned? Because you really only retain like 20%, if that, you mm. know, of the content that you actually learn. So make sure that you figure out what you need to know. That's half the battle. Like, what don't I know? And then learn that and then learn again and again and again until you really know it before you move on to the next book, the next short course, the next coach, the next mentor, the next thing that you feel like you need. 
That is such a good point. Like that is so good. And that's very much, you know, why I created my course, because it was just from demand. It's not because, mm. you know, you and I can write a million and one courses on all the topics out there, but it's like, it's useless. It's okay. We'll find what people want and then just make a course based on the demand and based on what we feel is missing already, because there's yeah. no point just making a generalized course about topics that people will not take points from. So find the loopholes mm. of what people need and then, yeah, just keep your eyes open for demand. Well, that's from us as educators, but then to flip it, find out the few things that that you need to learn and then talk to someone, talk to me or Sherelle. Hey, like I want to learn something about this. Um, can you help us? And, and reach yeah. out with the specifics because then people can make courses on it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not our full-time job to write courses, but if the demand's there, we'll do it, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's an interesting yeah. spin on it. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Or like where to go. That's half the battle. Like, it's yeah. like where do I go for this? I know I need to learn about this, but there's so many different places I can go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tricky one, but I think that that's the podcast almost. But Done. We'll, and we'll have segue. a nice day, everyone. Everyone <laughs> have a nice day. Um, but we'll segue into, I guess, our first point that we wanted to cover, which is swapping training days around based on your schedule and how you feel. Now, as an umbrella term, this is something called auto-regulation, which sort of means like scaling, you know, your training days or your intensity or volume. It could mean a host of things, um, but it's to go off feeling uh, and like augment accordingly. And this is something that I used to use all of the time, like as a shift worker. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it it helped me fit everything in around such a busy and stressful schedule. And I feel like that's most people, right? Like not a lot of people can choose when they train or, you know, what other variables are going on. Maybe you've got to drop the kids off at work. Maybe you're working shift work or night duty or whatever it might be and I think so many people get really fixated on legs must be trained on Monday you know or I have to hit certain amount of steps or whatever it might be and I just think our bodies aren't designed like that we should be able to have this ability to like look in and tune in uh, and assess our, our our current state objectively not subjectively and be able to make decisions based on our training accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Such handy tools to be able to learn. But if you don't understand how to do it or that it's beneficial, then yeah, you'll be stuck in a fixed schedule that will not move. So I definitely did that at the start when I was, you know, I had my first coach was prescribed certain days, wanted to be an A plus student. And in my eyes, that meant you know, ticking everything off in the exact order that it was. And then I started to feel there were some days where I was just like, I felt really run down because of uni or things like that, tired from work. Then I'm like, looked at my paper. Okay. It's leg day. Then I'd go, my leg day wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have that much energy to put in. So it'd be a pretty crap session. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm like, no, it's leg day today. I had to do it. And then I just, there were some days where I just felt ill. And then once I actually just had to take myself home, I'm like, this isn't right. And, and then just sort of went, Danny, hang on a minute. What are you doing to yourself? Just because it says that on your program doesn't mean you can't swap things around. And then as soon as you start telling yourself that it's okay, you feel like the world just opens up and it's like, okay, my health first, my, my school, my work first, the kids, whatever. And then I mold my training around that. 
But then mm-hmm. it's also important to not always use it as an excuse. So mm-hmm. like if you had shift work, cool, you probably wouldn't be training a big leg day after, even though I know you have in the past because you've, you've had to. And that's, you know, part of being that athlete as well. But it's about knowing, am I making an excuse or can I actually shift the puzzle pieces around so I still get all my sessions, but it might be in a different order. Yeah, really good. I think a question you can ask yourself is like when it comes to that, you pull up at the gym and you're like, oh, should I sub in upper body instead of lower body today, right? Like I'm not feeling it. You need to ask yourself, will this serve me long-term? Like will this serve me long-term? Are you going to have to cram in two consecutive lower body days in the back end of the week because you chose not to? Or is this one of those things where maybe you only got a few hours sleep or something's happened life-wise or you've only got 45 minutes, you know, and it will serve you because it could be the difference between you having a good session or rushing it and getting injured. So it's really important to serve yourself by asking, is this going to be beneficial for me long-term? Because this is something I do. It's like, can't be bothered today. I'd much rather hit upper body because we all know that's basically like a rest day. Um, (laughs) But I know that if I get, you know, my hardest session in earlier in the week, the rest of the week flows, everything else feels easier and I can achieve my goals. And that's why I said at the start, objectively, you know, and this is, you've got to be able to remove your emotional bias from it and go fact or feeling. Is it a fact that my body is a bit run down and I'm like what we spoke about the other week, recovery, you know, and I I shouldn't be pushing it hard or maybe I need to deload or pull back or, you know, maybe the extra sleeping will serve me. Like, is that fact or is that feeling? Like, do I just not feel like it? There's no excuse. I don't have the time for it. I just don't feel like it. If it's feeling, you know, that's when you need to be disciplined and have self-discipline, like show up for yourself and be like, yeah, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it because that's what I'm going to do. Um, and it, that's a hard skill to learn, right? And it's probably going to take, you know, honestly, a couple of years of solid training, um, of making mistakes, of cho- choosing feelings and then paying for it later on to be able to truly understand whether you need to auto-regulate at certain times or not. Yeah, yeah. And just rock up to the gym and then see what happens. You might be out there warming up or whatever and say, you know what, I was in my head a little mm. bit earlier. Now that I'm here, I will finish the leg session or just put yourself there. And even if you have to go home, you go home, but at least you're yep. sort of in the scenario. It's a lot harder to make a decision when you're on the couch. You know, the yeah. TV's there, it's warm. You've got your blanket next to you. Like mm. that's clouding your judgment. Like actually put yourself still in the gym and then the decision comes a lot easier as well. I had one of them days the other day, actually. It was like day one of my cycle. And sometimes I'm like, fuck, I can't be bothered day one of my cycle with leg day. Like there's nothing worse than laying a freaking heavy barbell across your uterus when it's day one. I can't be bothered. Um, but I knew that I didn't have flexibility in my week to be able to schedule my training days and move things around. So I was like, no, just get in, get it done, do the thing, pull back intensity-wise if you need to, um, but still do the training session, still do the thing that's prescribed. So I got in there and I got in like two exercises in. I felt fantastic. Like Good. all of a sudden, like the feeling was gone and I was like, no, I'm actually feeling really strong. Sometimes, you know, even we have to catch ourselves out because now our, our internal mind controls our body and it controls our response. And that's so okay. Like knowledge is power, um, but collect evidence first. You know, if I just stayed sitting in the car and thought no, or just swapped it out, didn't even try, that would be me responding with the feeling rather than a fact. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you. You still got it done, but you, you changed, you know, you pulled back a little bit, but then put yeah. yourself there and still got the workout done. And that's good. Yeah. 
And I bet yeah. you don't regret it now. So no, I would have regretted it if I sort of didn't do it. But yeah, like you said, exactly. sometimes about tuning in and really understanding. But we'll move on to the next one, which is your body and muscles don't know the difference between a dumbbell, a barbell, or a machine. Mm. Now, the reason why we say this is because a lot of people are on the internet saying, you know, barbell back squats are the king of all exercises. And it's sort of like, for what? Like, for what? What's the king for what, you know? And I think people take uh, people take things like that so literally and they think it must be the king for everything and therefore this exercise is superior. And, you know, we really want to break down that, you know, your, body's in, your body as a whole doesn't really understand what you're doing. It just knows load. Yeah, very well said. And, you know, there's a lot of clickbait out there or people who are just in love with certain ways of training and they're very passionate to preach it. But again, you're kind of like, yeah, for what? Like, where's the context? So a certain exercise is great. Let's We'll use the barbell back squat, for example, since that's what you mentioned. If you're a power lifter and you have to get better at that one movement for your comp, great, it is king. But yeah. if your goals are maybe something else that don't require that or you're just starting in the gym or you're a mom who just wants to move, it's not always king, you know what I mean? So there's definitely context. Um, again, for newbies or throwing it back to when we were new, if we had, you know, have to use dumbbells for this and then someone was over by the dumbbells and it was taken, I would be like, oh my goodness, how do I swap this out, you know? But again, mm. it's not the end of the world. It's about educating yourself. Okay, what's a plan B? So what I used to do when I was really just so new to training, I would make little notes next to the exercises like, oh, if someone's on this, then I'll do this instead. Or And it just made me feel, oh, it's kind of cute throwing back to this, but this is the headspace I was many moons ago. It, it just made me feel a bit safer, like, because I would hate going in so regimented I look and someone's on the machine. And again, like I was pretty shy when I was really young and I didn't want to ask them how many left or this or that. Um, so I would just write a little plan B down. Now I don't care. Now I just stare at them like, get off my machine. No, I'm kidding. But you know <laughs> what I mean? It was just nice to be able to know, okay, cool. They're on that leg press. I'll do this exercise instead. And then it, it just flows a lot better. Because I know people are still in the position where it can be a bit intimidating, not knowing how to swap and change. Um, so that was my little trick back, back then. Yeah. I used to do the same thing as well. Like I would research what exercises, um, I could replace things with if the machine was taken before I'd go to the gym and I'd watch the demo on YouTube before I'd go, (laughs) um, thank God for apps these days and smartphones, but Yeah. yeah, you've got so much, I guess you've got so much like leeway when it comes to training in general, unless you're training for something specifically and that requires a specific tool, like what you said, if you're a powerlifter, you have to do those three lifts because that's that's the skill that you need to get good at. But, you know, if you're someone with uh, like just general goals of building muscle, health and fitness, which is probably the majority of people listening to this, you have a lot of leeway and not everyone is bodybuilders. Not everyone is powerlifters. So we don't have to train like them. And I think it's really important to highlight that because a lot of people feel disheartened if they can't stick 100% to a program. And as much as we say, like stick to your program, it's so okay if you need to swap things out to make sure you can get it done um, or to make sure it's practical or achievable for you long-term. Really important. Yeah. And like dumbbells, barbells, machines, bands, whatever equipment that we use now was not equipment thousands of years ago. So I don't know why we've forgotten that people would carry logs. People would carry animals. People would carry other humans, rocks, 
up hills, this out in the wild, you know, surviving, throwing spears, doing all these things. So we've, we've definitely forgotten, like we didn't just appear on the earth or whatever you want to talk about with dumbbells and barbells and machines. Like we've recreated that based off equipment or things in the wild that people would use. And Mm. the term dumbbell actually is because people used to use church bells and like make sure that it wouldn't make a sound. So dumb meaning like mute, there's no sound and use dumbbells from church to lift and, and weight train. So like, and kettlebells came from cannons where they used to weld handles on. So it's like, don't get attached to your equipment. Like your equipment is mocking what people did thousands of years ago. Yep. Your body just knows the load. It doesn't say, oh, this is a, a dumbbell that's shaped really beautifully for a gym. Like your muscles will grow now. No, pick mm. up a, a stick the same weight. You're going to have the same response. You might get a few splinters, but you'll have the same response. Yeah, that's so funny. It's so funny when you put it like that. Like even the, you know, the legend of Milo, like carrying a car up the hill, like that's how they discovered progressive overload. So yeah, I don't know why people sort of like put exercises on pedestals, um, especially like if your goal is like building muscle, there are so many ways to build muscle. Like you really can't screw it up. I think everyone even gets so fixated in rep ranges, right? And like things like that. And I'm like, look, as long as you're training close to failure and you pick a load that's appropriate, like it doesn't really matter, right? Like rep range is going to be dependent on the exercise as well, but it's really important to just zoom out and go what actually matters. And this allows you to not get so fixated on certain things. It allows you to auto-regulate. It allows you to stay consistent. It allows you to not feel overwhelmed in the long term. And yeah, as you mentioned, Danny, like there was definitely days where like, um, like even when I was going through like all my back injuries that I'd have a sore back and I'd be like, well, it's deadlifting day. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. And I'd just do it, you know, whereas if I knew now, I'm like, there's no way in hell mm. I'd be like, pushing intensities with the deadlift if I had like a sore lower back no way in hell because I know I'd be doing more harm than good um but there's still a lot of people out there with that exact mindset I think it's a bias and I mean if we're taking it from a social media point of view like if someone physically can't do an exercise and they're a bit of an ego person they're gonna try and find a way to make an excuse as to why that exercise is bad. For Mm. example, if someone hates deadlifting or they're actually not good at deadlifting, they're going to be like, no, don't deadlift everyone. That is a bad exercise. We're in the back of their head. They just can't do it. I say that because I've seen it, but I just, you know, you stay quiet until you're on a podcast. So now I'm not staying quiet, but a lot of people are just doing that based off ego. So try not to get caught up in it. What I really respect is people who have said, yep, I've tried this. I've tried that I've tried that like that doesn't work for me but for this person it still works rather than just saying no it's shit don't do it the end it's like "Mm, I don't believe you like I would believe someone who's actually tried it and said and given a bit of context rather than just discounting a whole movement that's evident to work for someone it's going to work for Mm. someone yeah absolutely we all do the things we're good at right like we all program the things that we're good at we all continuously do the things that we're good at the only way that you get better at things is by you know sucking at them at the start and then getting better and then we start enjoying them right there was a long time where I think every single person that comes to coaching tells me I don't like lunges and I'm like well you probably need to do more lunges like 
I yeah. love lunges now. Like I'm freaking strong on lunges. Good. But there was a time where I felt weak on lunges, on unilateral exercises, and I noticed an imbalance and a difference. And it wasn't until I trained it and improved it and got strong at it, felt confident and saw progress in it, that I actually started to enjoy lunges and ball game split squats and those sorts of things that a lot of people really, really hate. So it's about, yeah, like removing your own bias with it. And then like it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like, is this my bias or is this just a a bad exercise but there's no such thing as a bad exercise it's just for who and what for exactly and then um you're right people don't like the exercises that they're not strong at or that are hard but you're not strong at it at it and it's hard because you need to work on it you know so many people come to me with pain in the hip or the back and I look at their program and it's all bilateral and it looks really fun on a piece of paper because they're just using machines they're Mm. doing this doing that and it's like well that's your problem where's the unilateral work where's the freestanding work sorry like you know we're gonna have to prescribe some of that to to be injury free and they're like no but lunges are really hard it's like as you said it's like yeah that's the point like that's what you need to work on so gotta um, be a little bit disciplined as well yeah really good really good I feel like with the program it should be like you know 80% of what you like 20% of what you don't you know that old 80 20 will do 80% (laughs) of the things that you're getting stronger and it's like 20% of it you're not gonna like it's a new exercise you suck at it you need to work on it you're weak and that's okay (laughs) you suck you're weak (laughs) we all have it we all have it we all Mm. have it um but yeah I guess that moves into the next one which is warming up Right. Like this is, this is always one that I feel like it comes up like every six to 12 months on the internet. It's like, oh, warming up's really important. And then it goes away for a while. And oh, warming up's really important goes away for a while. But this is obviously something that is really important. And it's just not sexy for a lot of people. It's like spending time in the gym before you get to your heavy stuff, you know, lifting the same weight, but lighter or doing any sort of movements that you deem as helpful for the session that you're about to move into. Like no one shows that, but everyone does it every or should do it yeah 100 percent. well if you log on to united health education it's very much warm-up orientated just for that reason i mean we've all been there man you rock up to the gym i used to on the way to the gym i would have my music on so loud just ready to go pre-workout pumping and then the last thing i would do is lie down on a mat and do things or just spend time warming up because i feel like to warm up activation mobilization like you have to be really present and slow down. So AI never used to see the value in it again when I started. So I'm talking like over 10 years ago. Um, and B, I would just pump myself up so hard for the gym mentally, probably waste all my energy in the car on the way there. I would just want to hit it hard. But you learn the hard way, fatigue, you can get injured, your session, you just end up burning out in your session. It's just not good. So now I'll yeah. calm down, take my time, just warm up. You don't need to spend an hour doing it. 10, 15 minutes, get in the zone mentally and then Mm -hmm. start to get ready for your session, pump yourself up. And then your top sets will be amazing, right? We all know the difference between warming up and not warming up. You just don't feel good if you skip it. Yes, you might Mm -hmm. tick off your program and you'll get to the last exercise in a reasonable time frame. But what was the quality of the workout? It's not Mm -hmm. the end of the world if you get yourself ready for your session as I said, activate, mobilize, warm up, then train. If you run out of time for the last two or three, it doesn't matter because the effort that you put in for the first couple of exercises would be your best. And that's how you get results. Yeah, absolutely. Really well said. I think um, you can always like spend more time warming up and then get into it. You can't go back though. Like you jump straight <laughs> into your A, your A and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel very good. Like you can just 
feel it in your hips, in everything. Like you just need to move your body. Mm. Um, and I feel like everyone that's sort of like intermediate to advanced, you figure out what routine works best for you. Like when you're a beginner, you're just trying a whole lot of shit and you're not sure if any of it's doing anything, right? <laughs> Until you actually really get some solid progress on certain exercises and you can feel the difference, see the difference, um, you know, track the difference. So there is a massive like, yeah, distinguish between when you do warm up and when you don't. Um, and something I wish I knew about like right at the start is like everyone teaches you about like, yeah, like you said, mobilize, activate, all those sorts of stuff, but no one teaches you about warm-up sets. And I feel like this is something I educate nearly almost every client um, that comes to us about is like, what is a warm-up set? What makes a warm-up set different to a working set? Um, are warm-up sets supposed to feel hard? Like, does that count? And this is where like the, the argument of volume almost gets confused because people that are doing like five or six sets for the A series, I'm like, maybe they're just, you know, including a few warm-up sets because something I always like say to myself, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's a stimulating rep. Like it can still feel difficult um, because feeling hard is subjective. It's not objective, right? If I know that my top set for a Romanian deadlift is 90 kilos for a, a weight, well, if I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing 80, it's still a warm up in my eyes. So I need to get to my working weight for it to be stimulating effective reps. And that's a hard reality because most people are like, oh, that's really hard. I'm like, that's your warm up, mate. Once you get to, <laughs> once you get to intermediate, Hard is a warm-up and you need a lot more to get you from, like I said, B to C than A to B. Yeah, that's awesome. And such a good point to elaborate on. There's a little bit of an art for it with self-awareness and having the right guidance because you don't want to burn out before you hit your top set. So you can make the mistake of, adding too much weight and too many reps. So let's, we'll use a 90 kilo RDL. Um, soon we'll be using a hundred kilo RDL. You're very close, which is amazing, but we'll use 90, um, you know, start with the empty bar and slowly add a little bit of weight. But what I like to do personally, rather than going um, lots of high reps, you know, maybe high reps with the empty bar, maybe add 20 kilos, whatever, whatever. As I'm getting higher to the top set, I might do, let's do, we'll use 80 for an example, maybe one or two reps on 80. You don't want to yep. do a full 12 reps or something on 80 because you'll just gas yourself for that top set. So personally, start lighter weight, higher reps, taper down, mm. and then bring it back up for that top set. That's what I find works in some instances. But again, it's case by case. Yeah, I'm the same. I very much yeah. do like a pyramid warm-up set. I'll do like mm. a like a, a lightweight, high rep sort of pump work, especially in winter. I just find getting some blood flow. Um, sometimes I might even do like a little bit of cardio to help with that. Like a warm body moves better than a cold body that's like freezing with their cap yeah. and do on. So yeah, I do like <laughs> a pyramid set. And then as I get to yeah, my working weight, I might do one or two reps for my nervous system just to like fire mm. rather than like my muscles or strength. Like they know what they're doing. It's more so neurologically tuning on and this is very much like an intermediate way of thinking as well I would say like in the first you know one to two years a beginner can get away like hard is probably hard right but for an intermediate like heavy and hard is not necessarily stimulating or effective reps and it takes like you mentioned self-awareness and time to figure out but something I often see as well from a coaching lens is like transitioning women from beginner to intermediate right like a lot of um, girls will come to us at that later beginner stage and they just can't make any more progress. They're not progressing in the rate. This is a lot of people when they reach out to coaching, 
They're like on the end of that beginner stage and they're like, what am I doing wrong? This same thing isn't working like it used to. And it's because they're doing the same thing, right? And that's the issue usually. Um, And it's like to get from a beginner to an intermediate, all of these things matter because then you can look at someone and be like, oh, well, it's not like you're wasting actually two out of the three sets as warm-up weights. Like that's your warm-up. Sorry, but that's your warm-up. You need, this is your working, you know, and then maybe you need to adopt a pyramid-style warm-up set um, regime so you're not burning yourself out and fatiguing yourself with junk volume in your warm-up. So this might be going over a lot of people's head that are relatively new, but this is why coaching is to help you to get from beginner um, or, you know, early intermediate trainee to advanced. And it's these little things, like people call these one percenters and I don't. Like I think you add, these are like five percenters. I would say (laughs) warm-up sets is like a a 10 percenter for you to hit your max. Would you say? Like it's probably even more, to be honest, because if you don't warm up, you're going to have zero percent of your top sets and you'll be sore. So I don't know what the scale is, but your number keeps going up. So we'll call it a 10 percenter. We're comparing. (laughs) Comparing it to a one, um, 10 times more important. And you're so right. And I also find a lot of people who are transitioning from their last warm-up into um, the top set, like the last warm-up, and this used to happen to me, feels so much harder than the top set just because in your Mm -hmm. head you're like, oh, it's a warm-up. So you might not be 110% present, you know, but that's off, that often can happen as well. But then as soon as you know it's your top set and it's showtime, bracing, deep breath, everything's on, you, you get that extra energy. So, yeah, try not to deter yourself if, you're, if your warm-up sets feel, you know, hard, as you said, because they will. Um, but then there's a, a switch that gets flicked just for the top set. It's like a psychological thing. Um, mm. And then one other point that I did want to make, on this, people don't rest enough between sets. Or you've got the people that scroll on Instagram for five, 10 minutes and it's, they just ruin the flow. Or people are not disciplined enough just to sit still for two or three minutes. Like I remember in the past, people were like, oh, two minute rest period. I can't wait that long. I'm bored or whatever. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's nothing. Just be disciplined. Like learn yeah. how to just sit there, um, store that energy up and get ready. So yeah, I feel like resting people muck that up as well. And it makes such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. There was a really good um, research paper that came out a while ago that sort of compared 30 seconds rest to 60 seconds to 90 seconds to two minutes to three minutes. And they did show for a lot of movements, you know, excluding powerlifting styled stuff yep. where they rest for like a year. <laughs> um, but they did show, they did show that um you 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 almost doubled your strength or your endurance by resting two minutes than one minute. You know, and that's usually like two, two to three minutes is usually what I'll take between an A series. And honestly, there is a sense of auto-regulation that comes in for rest periods for me now. Like I used to be really diligent and strict with it. But now if I'm gassed after like, you know, and I'm still I can still see that my elevates, um, my heart rate's elevated after two minutes, I'll take an extra 30 seconds. Like yeah. don't feel like you really need to jump straight back in just because the time is up unless it's like a no rest superset or it's sort of the point to be going in pre-fatigued but when you're dealing with strength styled stuff like get curious it's not again it's not a strict like who said that 120 seconds is a must do for a rest period but what you were saying there Danny I completely agree like I think a lot of people are bored and they're trying to be entertained in the gym rather than actually going in and treating it like a training session where you need to train for performance yeah yeah so well said I love it um should we move on to the next one so oh 
the importance of tempo and time under tension. What a game changer. We've even written tempo is everything. Tempo is everything. But, mm. you know, what it actually is, is the speed at which you're performing the movement. So, again, oh, I just love that I've done all the opposite to what we're saying now. And that's why we've learned, right? I'll go in, fly through the movements, throw weights around, bang, 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 count the reps, done. The mm. first time I, you know, tried slowing the movement down or tried tempo, even two or three seconds, absolute game changer not only does it increase the time under tension but it just forces you to be so present so in your body and you can finally tune into your movements and feel the muscles that are working and understand okay there's load happening on my muscles like you're just fully in it it's such a, it was such a surreal moment for me to actually be present and training and slowing it down that it's like a superpower. You just become so in tune with yourself. I don't know. I was tripping out. Again, this is when I was younger. I must have just not been present, flying through it. And then all of a sudden, the world just opens up. You're so in your body and you're like, okay, I'm actually training properly for the first time in my whole life. Yeah. I think like tempo is a massive thing, right? Like it's everything. It's, it's like, if you're not reading your tempos, you're missing out on probably like 50% of the most important details in your actual training program. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, even when I was writing programs right at the start, I would consciously like write in there, like, you know, three second pause at the bottom, like I'd write a note for it. Whereas now I'm like, expectation is you read your tempo. Like if it's like a three, three, one, oh, like you read your tempo and you know that there's a three second pause in there. And that's for everyone. Like we should be really taking notice of, you know, those, those numbers inside your training program. They're not there for just no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But something that always comes up for me, and this is something that helps me when I'm pushing through a hard set is just reminding myself that slow is faster when it comes to tempo, because when you start to fail, your tempo will usually be the first thing that deteriorates. So the bar speed might slow down. Like you get those turtle reps that are like grinding from the (laughs) bottom. Um, Naturally though, our brain sends signal to our body and goes, this is painful. Like just get through it. Just, just bounce around. That's what it wants you to do. It wants you to just fly the weights around because it's painful and it, you know, wants you to get out of that discomfort. But if you can like mentally just be like, nah, I'm reaching failure slow as faster and consciously try and slow it down, you'll actually be feel stronger. You'll actually be able to get more reps out than what you can anticipate because like mentally you're intentionally doing it. You're in tune with it. You're controlling it. And obviously like this is going to be on a controlled piece of equipment. Say you're on a hack squat, you know, and you know that you're going to be grinding out of the bottom. If you just like lose control at the bottom because you're trying to bounce out of it, you won't get those last really important stimulating reps out. Whereas if you just like brace, slow it down, like really grind and push through it, that's when the tempo side of things is important because we're not intentionally slowing things down, but we want to get to a point that there is so much resistance or tension being put on us that the reps are slow enough to be stimulating like if your reps or the velocity or the speed that you're moving through something is too fast like a jump squat you actually don't build muscle doing that exercise because there's no there's no opposite resistance placed on the eccentric load so tempo is really really important and it's it's the thing that allows you to actually progress in the same exercise Mm, so good and so many good points there I mean when people speed up, you're kind of, well, not kind of, you are using like elasticity as well. You, you might not necessarily be 
um, placing all of the load in your muscles. You know, we're using ligaments, mm. we're using different structures just to bounce. Um, so it's a great tool as a coach to be able to spot weakness in your clients, which we've all been there. And we'll go back to using lunges as an example. If you give lunges to a client and they do it, they might start off, you know, with the tempo, then down the bottom, bang, straight in and out of the hole. They just want to get it over with. That's where you know there's a weakness in that bottom position of the lunge because they've run away from it. And it might be subconscious because we're so good at conserving energy without having to think. You can go, hmm, be a little bit mean and say, hey, you're you're rushing out of that bottom position. We're going to add a pause like what you mentioned earlier, Sherelle. Three seconds is a big pause too. We're going to add a three-second pause in that bottom position. You're running away from it. We need to spend more time there. And it's not about being mean, but you can have a little bit of a laugh about it, have a bit of fun, um, particularly when you're the coach. But just educate, like, your your client, hey, we need to get stronger in that position. We have to spend more time there. So, Mm. yeah, it's a great little tool to be able to pick up where the weaknesses are as well. Yeah, I learned this the hard way with calf training, actually, because mm. um, this is the thing that doesn't, like, for a long time never took a priority for me was, like, calves and arms, like, how boring and core. <laughs> it's, like, crunch, raise, like, you know, it's sort of, like, it's, like, training legs and, like, compound stuff's fun. Anyways, <laughs> this is why I have, like, really developed quads and glutes and, like, my calves are still playing catch-up. I'm getting there, though. They are growing. But, you know, the way I used to do my calf raises was very much like what you said. I would never treat any other exercise like this, but bouncing out of the bottle, uh, out of the bottle, out of the bottom. <laughs> and shock horror, it's just my Achilles doing all the work pretty yeah. much, like just my ligaments just bouncing out of it. And then um, it wasn't until I introduced tempo work, which honestly the most disgusting exercises I've ever done is calf work with tempo. Eugene would make me hold 10 seconds at the bottom. 10 seconds at the top and then like do like pauses and then reps and then failure and you think you think you're done and your calves can tolerate so much more than yeah. what you think like he's like you should be putting your body weight on your calves at least you know you walk around with that every day it's strong right mm. and then to really control it and like add a pause at the bottom in that stretch position so the achilles can't just jolt you out of it that's when i'm like okay i've been training calves so incorrectly mm. um which is a surprise, right? Because it's like you'd never treat any other exercise like this, but it's not until you really start breaking it down. And like you said, Danny, understanding well, what tendons are helping me out here, um, what should these reps look like? And I would say like nearly everything that I do has some element of tempo work in it now. Yeah, for your goals for hypertrophy and strength yeah. as well, so important. I mean, if we were basketballers or, you know, people that needed to jump, tennis players, you probably, yeah, we would put more explosive movements in our training. But again, it's passing the load to ligaments and things. Mm. And, you know, we don't walk around let's walking for a coffee we don't do calf raises you know we have to get there quick and it's just the same movement so naturally it makes sense why you would and why I carried that over into a calf raise because it's just more natural just to to move our feet up and down um but yeah you really have to sort of catch yourself out and Mm -hmm. I just thought of Luke straight away he actually snapped his Achilles didn't he last year was it how is he going I haven't checked in on that in a long time yeah really good so um bless luke we always have this running joke that like if anything bad happens it happens to luke like just you know you know not bad bad but you know when people just have the worst luck yeah when it comes to stuff it's always luke so uh, you know took all this time to train up to go to basketball to get back into the swing of things got to the finals and then achilles just snapped um it was like 
someone was behind him with a cricket back. That's what it sounded like, just snap. Uh, um, so, yeah, he got into surgery pretty quickly and rehabbed that. And, you know, Achilles are pretty nasty to sort of mm. rehab. They take a long period of time. There's not much blood flow. Um, and, yeah, the rehab side of things. And he wasn't very well trained, to be honest. So he sort of had to start from the ground up. But he's doing really well and watching him do all the prehab stuff, like two, three times a day, strengthening it, loading the calves. And, honestly, that was the biggest difference he went to a physio and they were just giving him all this weird shit, honestly. So I was like, calf stretches. Yeah, they were getting him mm. to stretch it. He wanted me to do PNF stretching and all this sort of stuff, mm. which was like, and I, like, you know, as a coach, you have to separate <laughs> business and pleasure, don't you? I'm just like, look, I think you should be loading it. You know, like I think I know enough that you should be loading this tendon. You should be training your calves. You should be taking it through its range of motion. It's it's been stitched together. Like it's mm. fine. Like let's mm. do it. Anyways, and that was the biggest thing is like really loading it, training it, um, and getting it strong again, single leg stuff. Um, yeah, made the biggest difference. But something I was also going to add on to the back end of your argument there or conversation, I should say, was I was training with a friend the other day and she's like a really, really, really freaking strong, um, but has a history or a background in uh, powerlifting, right? And then obviously mine's bodybuilding. Uh, it was really interesting to train together and just see how we move differently through tempo, right? Like naturally, I've always trained with the intention of slow, like slow as faster, with a really controlled eccentrics, with sort of time under tempo becoming first and strength coming second. That's the way I've always sort of trained for my goals. And that's yep. like obviously embedded in my nervous system, in my brain and how I actually move. Whereas she's the opposite, like always sort of training through for strength and like bouncing through stuff, not in a bad way, like still controlled, but very different to see how we both reached failure, right? Whereas I was able to grind probably another four reps out slow where it's like, oh. Oh, you know, when you're not sure, when you mm. jump into your spot, not sure, mm. but I was able to get those where she was like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, no, nah. you know, and that ah. was not a, not a good or a bad thing. It's just like, oh, it's very interesting to see, like, maybe it comes down to the muscle fiber types of what we have um, and like our different styles of training to the loads we can tolerate and the ways that our body adapt and move through gravity. I just thought that was really interesting because I was like, mm. no, I don't have any more. And you, like when I was being cute to sort of like bounce out and stuff, it, my body was like, no, like that's not how we move. And that's just because it's the way that I've learned how to actually go through those movements, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's so cool that you you notice those differences and for good reason. I mean, different goals, different training history. You've both been doing your one way. So that's what I was going to ask. I, I was going to ask you, did you have the conversation or did one try the other way? Um, and you mentioned it was a little bit harder for you just to bounce. And I've, again, had that experience because I trained tempo as well, but then you know, trained with Paul and all of that, who loves powerlifting and is very strong. And for me to try and bounce out of that hole in a squat at the start, it was scary because I felt mm-hmm. like I was going to lose control or it was just so new. And, and to ha- to be able to do that with the same weight that I was always squatting, I was like, oh, this just doesn't feel safe. So I had to strip the weight right back to learn how to do that because it might sound tiny, but again, it's a whole new skill and it's a whole new like feeling of, oh, like, is this safe type thing? So it makes perfect sense. But yeah. for us tempo trainers, like the ego goes out the door in the sense of you can't do it with as much weight as people who mm. are powerlifting and, and bouncing and, and using those structures. You know, their main goal is to have the most weight on the bar. 
um, they will get hypertrophy as a result as well, but it's different goals. So people often think, oh, you know, I'm going backwards if I'm adding tempo and slowing it down, but that's still progressive overload. So technically you're still getting ahead of where you were by taking weight off and then moving slower. It's still a step forward. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I think this is something like we didn't write down, but I wish I knew was tension is not um, load, like, like tension or, or um, mechanical tension on your, on your muscles and weight is not the same thing. So just because you're increasing the weight on the bar doesn't mean you're adding more mechanical tension um, to the actual muscle tissue itself because it's easier to move a heavy weight with less tempo, right? If you tell someone to squat down with a three or four-second tempo in comparison to a two-second tempo, the person who's had a four-second tempo would have more tension on the muscle and therefore have more of a hypertrophy response than someone who's bounced through the reps with less um, less actual tension right yeah. so really important to understand that piece because it, it goes to show like if we slow things down you are going to get more of the hypertrophy response and as you said if that's your goal that's what we should be aiming for no we don't want to make it a freaking 10 second squat we want to make sure we're getting the volume and contractile tissue in there as well to be able to equate to enough stimulating reps um, but it's a it just sort of highlights how important that tempo pieces and it was such a big game changer for me to start really really controlling it but as you mentioned as well um when I did try and speed it up it just didn't feel right and I was like Mm. it doesn't it doesn't align with my goals either like I don't I'm not I don't I have no ego when it comes to lifting honestly Mm. like I love feeling strong but the numbers just don't excite me like yes I want to work towards 100 kilo RDL but if I stick for 95 for another 12 months I don't care because I know I'm still going to be building muscle. Um, Like I know that to Mm. get to 100, I need to earn the right to get there. I haven't earned it. Like I don't care because I'm actually Mm. going to go backwards in my goals to jump ahead when I don't deserve to. So good. So good. And that's very much the long game mentality right there. And Mm. we're not, you know, ego lifters in a sense of weight but you know we all have a little bit of an ego about us and we all want to be good at stuff and progress but just remember guys there's so many ways to progress and definitely um, include tempo in your training for hypertrophy but then also getting really good at a skill if you can learn it slow you'll know it fast yeah well well said and then um i guess like the last one as well which i feel like is it's definitely one of my principles and i feel like it's one of yours too uh is less is more you know i think a lot of us have have worked hard for a long period of time uh and you get to a point where you just can't keep working harder you know you have to start working smarter and usually that involves really assessing how you're doing a lot of the things because for some people they use the excuse of i don't have time and yes sometimes that is an excuse but it's also a reality for a lot of people that we don't have time to spend 15 hours of our week inside the gym like we can get more out of less if we know the strategies of how to make that happen yeah very well said and a lot of it comes down to how is the intensity of your training are you there mucking around are you just you know all your sets warm-up sets like it's it's really makes (laughs) a difference like you will want more rest days if you train really well with great intent and it's not about gassing yourself in the times that you are there but you're better off having three amazing sessions where you really apply yourself you give it everything and using the rest of the time to rest rather than being in the gym six days a week but you're fatigued you're mucking around you're not that serious yeah like you'll get better results with less amazing sessions than more fluffy sessions 
Mm, absolutely and I learned this the hard way honestly it's like you remember this Danny but when I got hamstring tendonitis a couple of years ago um I was doing a hell of a lot of volume like a lot of volume when I look back now because honestly I wasn't even tracking my volume I had a coach at the time I you just sort of that's what you pay someone for right um volume is really important but only to a point that you can recover from right and this is important because it's different volume is so different for every person right like what works for one person will not work necessarily for another person it's going to come down to where they're at like intensity warm-up sets etc what they're counting as volume you know there's a lot of exercises that count that have more than one muscle being trained so Mm. do you count that towards that that's something that always screws with my head um (laughs) but i got yeah hamstring tendonitis which um you know is that overuse injury from the you know the the muscle and the tendon i should say sort of being placed under too much stress and not recovering properly from it so i had to slash my volume by like 50 percent um kept training and everything but then as i would always do if i ever got an injury or something i'd like research the hell out of it and like i'm gonna learn everything about this thing and fix it right and then that's when i really started adopting like a less is more um training approach stripping back everything like all the junk volume which is more like just things you're doing in the gym for fun right mm. and like we've mentioned this a couple of times like if you want to do things for fun that's fine but there comes a point where if it's taking away from the other things and you know if you're working towards goals and if you have specific things like I do um, then that's really important and you have to let go of things that are fun and maybe do some of the boring stuff and you know do some of the things that you don't want to because your goal outweighs the the pain of boredom at the end Mm. of the day for me it does anyway so that's when I started really adopting that less is more and looking up okay well what is the volume parameters for actual muscle growth like we know it's 10 to 30 sets across a week for a muscle group and that's not a lot a lot right like when you look at a lot of um I hate this but a lot of training <laughs> programs for women like why do we just get 50 sets of glutes what what's yeah. wrong with like what, why it, mm. it goes above the recommendations mm. it's no surprise so many females have hamstring tendonitis right which is hip extension, hip extension, hip extension all the time, right? Like what about everything else? All these programs that say grow your glutes and not your quads. Like it's just ridiculous. It's not how the human body works. So I think that less is more um, lesson. It's a hard one to learn and I would rather people not like just adopt a less is more approach and be consistent, you know, because that's going to be more important. That consistency will always, always, always overdo the intensity. Like let's cram it all in. Yeah. And you know, you might feel like you're doing 50 sets of glutes, but a lot of the time people aren't doing it in in a right way. So that's where we do have compensations. Now, I don't know your scenario, but a lot of time that you get a tendinopathy or an injury, it's because one muscle group has checked out. A lot of people don't really know how to get their glutes like as part of the movement. So then hamstrings take over or for people that are running, you know, they might not get their hip extension from the glutes or their core might not be stabilizing the pelvis. So then the hamstring works over time or they might get a sore hip or something like that. So you might think, Oh, wow, I've done so many exercises. This is great. But like your technique is always number one. And you may think that you're training a certain muscle group, but maybe you're so fatigued because you're doing so much that, the main muscle groups have checked out and then your compensatory muscle groups have come in. And that's often what we see. It's like, well, why am I injured? I'm, you know, I'm doing all this work and getting it all done and spending time here, but it's like, no, 
minimize and just make sure you're doing it really well. Use the rest of the time for rest and recovery and hobbies and life, you know, things that aren't just about the gym. So, yeah, we do see that a lot, but that is the nature of a lot of programs. Clickbaits everywhere, sexy Instagram workouts are everywhere. But I think it's Mm. more sexy to not have pain in the gym and to be able to push hard and to be able to get hypertrophy. You know, everyone wants the end goal, but they try and make up their own way to get there and go against coaches, you know, don't get distracted by all the bells and whistles on Instagram, you know, stay focused on the end result. Listen to Mm. someone who says, okay, this is what you need to do and then do it. It's not going to be the most fancy way because that just doesn't work. So yeah, don't get distracted by a process that sounds too good to be true because it would be. Yes. Love that. (laughs) I feel like that's a solid way to wrap it up. You know, today we really just wanted to go over those five really important things that we wish we knew when we first started. But like anything, you know, I definitely don't regret making all of those mistakes because it allows us to come to realizations like this and be able to spread the message of those five things. Would you not say? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why we're here again. And we love that we've gone through it because it's a real story and it comes from our heart saying, we're empathetic. We're like, it's okay, guys. Like if you're there now, that's fine, but just change it, you know? And that's so fine. We've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in saying that, we hope that you guys and girls definitely did learn something um, today. And if you did enjoy this episode or any of the five things that we spoke about, if they did resonate, make sure that you do share the episode on your social media. um, And of course, tag the Level Up podcast. Thanks, everyone.